0: Welcome to All The Things with Monique Dusson from the Center for Biblical Unity and Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique.
1: Good evening, everyone. I am Monique Dusson. And I'm Krista Bontrager. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. Welcome to All The Things, the show where we talk about all things related to God, the Bible, and real life. I'm excited.
0: Me too. We're live. Yes. And we want to invite you to join in our conversation tonight. You can go to the chat box um, on YouTube, on our YouTube stream, or you can try to comment on Facebook and hope for the best.
1: And comment we- on Facebook. We love our <laughs> Facebook viewers.
0: <laughs> Goodness gracious. Helping us on the show tonight and every night is the one and only professional button pusher, Pop on Traeger. Hello, hello. 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 <laughs>
1: Keeps us laughing. And tonight's moderators are Jennifer Bytel and Alicia Moss.
0: Woo. Thanks, gals, for helping to create a warm and welcoming environment for all. We're glad you're here.
1: (laughs) I don't know what's going on with her, (laughs) but there's that. (laughs) So you can help us by supporting the show. Yes. You can click on the share button. You can give us a like or a thumbs up. And if you have not subscribed to our show, make sure that you go to YouTube, subscribe, and hit that bell so that you can get alerts
0: as to when we are live. Many people still do not get the alerts. Some people don't even still know about the show. We need to help those people. That's true. (laughs) Yes, make sure that you like our show. Yes, Now... The show is brought to you by Family 210 Clothing where you can find cool Christian designs designed by us. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> you you doing
1: all right? You feeling all right? Yeah. You can do good. Okay, just making sure. Just making sure. <laughs> all right, it's also the show is also brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity,
0: the Fa- uh, Theology Mom podcast and Impact 360. In fact, speaking of Impact 360, we'd like you to watch this little video. Oh, no. That's That's at the end. end. Are you okay? (laughs) Do we need need to have a conversation? Excuse us. (laughs) Give me your fan. (laughs) Let me me see.
1: Girl, is you okay?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. You sure? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. All right. right. So we have a big announcement. Yes. All right. So we've got coming up on Tuesday. Tuesday's going to be a big day. I know. We're going to (laughs) have... A crazy, big, super stream event. Yes. With two of our favorite aunties. Tell us about it. All right, let's show the promo. And then we'll talk about it.
1: All right, so we're going to talk about um, a curriculum called Orange. And um, many people are, you might already be familiar with the Orange curriculum. It's a curriculum that is highly um, accessible for lay people, for, you know, it's a popular Church, It's yeah. a popular
0: Sunday school but, curriculum. I mean, it's it's, yeah.
1: it's accessible because it's... I mean, it's used so widely because it's so accessible. You don't have to have some vast knowledge of scripture or be able to do a bunch of things like they give you it's everything. It's very user-friendly yes, to implement. So that you can yeah. use
0: lay people, regular people. So we're not going to be um, talking about the curriculum per se.
1: Necessarily, but we are going to talk about a conference that they're having. Yeah.
0: So they recently... Um, announced their annual conference because it's part of the Orange Curriculum, which is the larger Orange project. Yeah, And the whole idea behind Orange is that the church is partnering with the parents mm-hmm. to to help disciple the children, which, yeah. man, I'm totally down with that vision. Like, that sounds like a great idea. I would love to have partners in my ability to disciple my kids. But the question is, and that we want to look at is – what it seems to possibly be the emerging philosophy behind the curriculum so we're just going to be mostly looking at the conference mm-hmm. commenting on their the the website and the announcement about the conference and and kind of thinking about you know what themes do we see emerging yeah. and then also some of your experiences in as a former children's pastor in using the orange curriculum some of the things that you saw. So we're just going to kind of get into that conversation with our friends, Natasha Crane and Alisa Childers.
1: Yes. And um, so it'll be a big event. It will be because it'll be four of
0: us. It'll be four of us and it'll be on all of our platforms. Yes. So you just tune in. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But Tuesday, March 8th, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Now, we have Natasha Crane as our special guest tonight. That's right. Yes, and so um, one of the things that I love about Natasha is that she's putting out um, resources not just for parents, but for people who are discipling the next generation. And... That like that just dovetails it into this whole conversation about Orange and the conference and what is, you know, what are churches um, putting out or using to disciple your kid?
0: Yeah. So we're going to bring on Natasha. Welcome to all the things. There she is. Yes. Hello. hello. Oh, you know
1: what? While it's on my mind. Excuse me. Thank you so much for your message about CFBU. I didn't get a chance to text you or call you, but... Thank you very much. I so appreciate it. And if Well, you don't tell know, but tell
0: people what so, you're even talking about. Oh, sorry.
1: We had our second anniversary <laughs> on the twenty fourth of February, yeah. and Natasha did a video just talking about CFBU and what we're doing and what it means. And I am just so appreciative. But I completely, I was girl it was busy. We was a, it, we was traveling. <laughs> I totally, I remember
2: totally understand. It was my honor to be able to do it. So. Yeah, thank you. Now we should probably say the reason that I
0: asked Natasha to do that video is because she was there right at the very beginning from the get go, because she mentioned you yes. in a post that went viral, like 225,000 shares or something. Yeah. And there was really no turning back for the ministry at that point. What? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we had to do we, we, something. Yeah, we had to do something. We had to just kind of figure this all out. What is this going to pay it, immediately? Yeah, people were
1: writing in. I heard about you from Natasha Crane, so <laughs> thank you very much. Yes. Now you have a new book that is out. If I am understanding correctly, because I was like, I don't know if it's out for everyone. I have my copy.
2: <laughs> it is out.
1: All right, um, and it is called Faithfully Different. And um, now I, I don't want to talk about it. I want you to talk about it. I almost said some things. But why don't you tell us about your book and what motivated you to write this book?
2: Yeah. So the subtitle of Faithfully Different is Regaining Biblical Clarity in a Secular Culture. And I think that really captures very well what I'm trying to do with it because. I noticed over time that a lot of people, a lot of Christians were really allowing some secular views to come into their biblical worldview, even though they didn't realize it, this was happening. And this especially came up, I think, during that whole summer of 2020, when all this social unrest was going on. And you could just easily look around and see on social media how many people were, just supporting a lot of things that weren't necessarily consistent with what the Bible would teach as you well know and understand since you were getting involved with all of this at the same time. But that led to me writing that blog post that you were just talking about. And it was called five ways that Christians are getting swept into a secular worldview in this cultural moment. And yes, it went viral. It was shared and liked and shared 277,000 times. And I was just getting emails for weeks from people who were saying, I I couldn't put my finger on what was going on. I I, I knew something wasn't quite right, but I didn't know how to describe it. I didn't know what it was. And so before that time, I had only really been writing about apologetics specifically for parents. So I tried to stay very narrowly in that path. And I had written three apologetics books for parents, but it was after that big post when I had stepped outside of that and got such a huge response that I said, you know what, maybe I'm going to write some more about this and what's going on. And as I did that, these posts just blew up bigger than anything I had written prior for just the parenting community. And so that really led to me thinking, I think I want to do a book about this and really just clarifying what are the differences between a secular and a biblical worldview. So that's that's how the book came about.
0: Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed the book, and I think that it's super helpful. I want to recommend it to you. I, I don't recommend that many books. And I think I'm very parsimonious about what books I choose to read uh, just because time is very limited, but I want to highly recommend Natasha's book as definitely a must read for every thoughtful Christian on how to get a strategy together for living in a kind of a post-Christian world in a secular culture. I think the book is for parents, it's for pastors, it's for kids pastors, youth pastors, it's for every thoughtful Christian that's trying to make sense of what in the world has been happening in the last two years. It's accessible, It's you can get into it, you don't have to have a big academic background, it's well-written, it's clear, yeah. it's really what I call like a handbook for living in this current cultural moment. And Natasha just absolutely crushes it. And so I I just can't, you you guys like organize your book groups, get your moms together, do your thing, because this is a book that needs to, needs to get out there
1: now. Oh, it's a
0: number one release. Bob says, all right. I'm not
1: using words like parsimonious, parsimonious.
0: parsimonious. Yes, Yes. I am not using parsimonious. That that could be our word of the day. (laughs)
1: But what I will say is that the Center for Biblical Unity is going to do a book group um, through your book. It's a six week book group. So if you have not checked out um, Natasha's new book, Faithfully Different, or if you're looking to read it with a group of people, then check it out on the centerforbiblicalunity.com website and sign up so that You can enjoy this book with a group of people. Yeah.
0: So one of the claims I think that you make that's so helpful, Natasha, is clarifying this idea that Christians are now living as what you call a worldview minority. Uh Let's unpack that a little bit. You know, what does that term mean? And um, why would you say that we would live as a worldview minority when many people would say we live in a Christian nation? How could we be a minority?
2: Yeah, good, good question. So what I unpack in the first chapter of the book, I get into all these statistics. And a lot of people don't like that, you know, to read a lot about data, but I say it's very important in the book because we have to understand what we are in our current cultural moment and what our, what our situation is. And so when you look at the data, what you find is that about 65% of Americans will say that they are Christian. So if you call them up and researchers have done all of this and with thousands and thousands of people, these aren't based on tiny little studies in some corner of the world, but on these big scale studies, they find that about 65% of people will identify themselves as a Christian when given a list of options. But we have to remember that that means that they are self-identifying as a Christian, but they could mean all kinds of things by that, right? They could think that, you know, well, I grew up in a Christian home. I really have any kind of active faith today, but that's the closest thing on the list. So, okay, there you go. I'm a Christian move on with my day. Or someone else could maybe think that they're a Jesus follower in general because they appreciate that Jesus was a good moral teacher in some sense, uh, that they, they enjoy what he had to say, but they don't necessarily think he was God or accept the Bible as the word of God, but they are a Christian for purposes of the survey. So you could go on with these examples, but the bottom line is that when you're asking how people how they self-identify, you're going to get a very different kind of result than when you look at what people actually believe. And so to understand understand... understand better how people are functioning in culture based on how they believe and how they live out their faith and those kinds of things we have to look for other research not just that 65 percent. because you're right if you just look at that number you think well that's a majority you could say the majority of americans identify as christian that would be a correct statement if all you mean is how they self-identify
1: so that's really helpful oh sorry what were you gonna say
2: um, well, if you want
1: it, if you want
0: yeah. something, jump well, in. yeah, I want to no. talk about a worldview of minority. But if you want to comment on that part of it, go ahead.
1: Well, no, I was just going to say it's super helpful to understand because people today you can self-identify as a bunny rabbit, <laughs> so why can't you self-identify as a Christian? You know what I mean? But what does it really mean to be a Christian if that's not taught? Then sure, you know I. I believe Jesus was a real person or my parents were Christian. So yeah, I can, I can identify as this. Um, but that's why de-
0: definitions are so important. Definitions matter. More, I'm always beating that drum of, you know, all right, we're using this word. What is this that's actually? That's why discipleship mean? matters.
2: Yeah. That's so. What's so important for not to go too far off in this, but it is so important for our kids to understand that, that, you know, when they hear the word Christian, unfortunately, Even if it's in the church setting, if church says that it's Christian or their friends say they're Christian, they should immediately think, well, I don't know exactly what that means in this context mm-hmm. to this person. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing because we don't wanna be so overly skeptical, but the word has lost so much meaning today, unfortunately. So kids do have to be aware of that. But just to go back to, to finish the answer to yeah. the original question about you know the minority part. So where does that come in? Well, if you look at research on what people actually believe, this is available from the research that Dr. George Barna has done out of Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Center. So they have done a lot of research around actual worldviews of people. Instead of saying, what do you call yourself? They say, answer these questions about what you believe. And so they're trying to look at dozens of different questions and group people into worldviews based on answers to that. And so they're looking at what do you believe in terms of Core truths taught in the Bible. We're not saying that in order to have a biblical worldview, you have to check off a hundred different boxes of belief, but just basic set of Christian beliefs and then how you live your life accordingly. And when they do this, they find that six percent of Americans have what we would consider to be a functioning biblical worldview. So huge difference here between the 65% and the 6%. And then furthermore, 18 to 29 year olds, that number drops to 2%. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is really eye-opening, I think. And and as I explained it to my kids, I said, let's flip that number around the generation that you're closest to, you know, they're, they're under 18, but closest to that 18 to 29 year old group, 98% have a completely different worldview than you do. Hmm. So that is, I think that that just really sets kids up for the right expectation that everywhere you go, you're going to be surrounded by people who have a vastly different way of processing reality. And, and that's kind of the bottom line. And just one last note on that also in the church, I think this is really important to point out because in the church, they found that in evangelical churches, 21% have a biblical worldview. Think about that. Wow. So we're not just a minority in America. We're a minority in the church. It's so that's all- like
0: one in five kids in your kids' youth group actually have a functional Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about, oh, oh. <laughs> Monique's a bunny rabbit. Are you self-identifying as a bunny
1: rabbit? I do not. But I think that what what 2020 revealed was that some pastors in, in your evangelical church that you thought were on the up and up came out and was like, you know what? You can self-identify as that bunny rabbit if you want to. You know, I, I think that what, like in all seriousness, we have heard. Of so many people who have had to leave their church because oh, we get the, so the many letters. You was not as they thought it was, or the the elder team took a different turn and said, you know, we've considered these things. We yeah, we've believed these things for forty years, but now we're gonna, you know, we're on that bunny rabbit trail. It, I think, understanding that you are a worldview minority. It's something that we really need to grapple with and contemplate, because when you go into your church, the likelihood of you having a different thought or a different worldview than many people in your church is very real.
0: Yeah, I'll never forget the letter we got from a guy He was a deacon in his church, and he was concerned. This was in 2020, in September of 2020. He was concerned about what he saw happening, you know, from the platform, or from, the pul- letter. from the pulpit, from the pulpit. So he just, he asked for a, a meeting with the elders. Mm-hmm. He went into the meeting. He assumed like, this is just miscommunication, misunderstanding. And by the end of the meeting, he walked out and he realized, I just lost my church home mm-hmm. in one meeting because they made it very clear to him. Yep. We don't think this way anymore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what you're hearing is not a misunderstanding. So to have that sensibility that the kids in our youth group, maybe one in five has a Christian worldview. Some percentage, you know, of people in the church itself, you know, might have a Christian worldview. That's very sobering to, to think about.
1: But, but if, if we are the minority worldview and if our kids are going to youth group and children's church and things like that as the minority, what is the majority worldview that they're facing in school or even in the church?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a big important question. And you know, I try, girl. <laughs> I love the big questions. Yes. But I, I think you know it's it's interesting if you and I will answer that direct question, but I just want to kind of springboard off of something that you just said. But it's really interesting because when you think about that gap, and so all the people who are falling in the gap between the 65% and the six percent. I think they kind of break down into two groups and I don't talk about this per se in the book, but it's just something I've been thinking about. But some of those people, a good chunk of them think that they have a biblical worldview and don't. And then you have the other ones who if you defined biblical worldview would be totally okay saying yeah I don't intend to even have that view. I I disregard the Bible as the authoritative word of God, for example. And so I think that's a huge and interesting distinction too because even within the church when we say okay well if one in 5 have a biblical worldview, there are a whole lot of people sitting in church who are thinking that they have a biblical worldview and don't maybe we should
0: list off some of those those beliefs like you just mentioned you know in a biblical worldview we believe that the bible is the authoritative word of god so we submit ourselves under that authority we conform our lives to it what has barna kind of identified as some of those other sort of key bullet points
2: so I don't I don't think they've actually published the exact questions, but based on research that they've done in the past, they've asked questions about things like a belief in the uh, existence of absolute truth and things about the nature of God uh, in terms of God's sovereignty and um, and objective moral truth. Like I said, also the nature of man, basic kind of human
0: sinful. I know that that's one of the key things is Jesus. God is the devil. Real.
2: Is the devil real is one of them from the yeah. research. Right. So yeah, it's important to understand because I think sometimes people think, Oh, well they're just defining, defining this biblical worldview thing so narrowly that no one can fit it. It's not that at all. I mean, they're, they're asking some very basic questions about the nature of your beliefs about the Bible and so on. So um, it, it's, it's not trying to define it so narrowly it's just that people don't necessarily have beliefs that line up with what the Bible teaches. So Going, Did you want to say something about no, that? No, I was just going
0: to say kind of like they believe in things in the Apostles' Creed. Like that's kind of the yeah. nature of the questions. Yeah,
1: so, And, and we're, we're asking because we specifically got that question. And so before you went down too far, we wanted to make sure that we could thread, at, thread that out and say, okay, this is, you know, how a biblical worldview is defined. Now, yeah. we generally say a historically biblical worldview because yeah. we want to make sure, like, you can have a biblical worldview in some churches and affirm things that are definitely anti- antithetical to Christianity that have been antithetical to Christian, Yeah. So, ne- so then you would find yourself in a progressive stream, um, which Elisa Childers would be someone to cover. Yeah. But yeah, things that the church has historically believed um, things like in the Nicene Creed or um, your views of heaven and hell, your views of a human person who was Jesus, who was God, like the basics. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so uh, that's why that's, that that's a great point too, about, you know, anyone can claim to have a biblical worldview, just like anyone can claim to be a Christian, right? You have the same problem, like in all of these conversations, it comes back to definitions. So on the very first page of my book, instead of writing a book introduction, it's called before you read. And mm-hmm. for purposes of my book, I wanted to just set it up right away and say, Hey, this is an in-house discussion for those who seek to have a biblical worldview. And for purposes of this book, how I'm defining that is a belief that the Bible is the inspired and authoritative word of God. Mm. Now, there are going to be people who would say, yes, I I accept that. And I believe that. So I want to have a biblical worldview. And maybe they don't actually have beliefs consistent with it. But I would love for those people to read the book, too, because they want to have that biblical worldview. And that's the whole purpose of the book is to clarify, Okay, if this is your foundation for objective truth and this is what you seek to have, then let's clarify what that actually looks like versus culture, for example. So you do have to also make those distinctions about biblical worldview. But I set that up in the very beginning of the book to clarify what I mean on that specifically.
1: Thank you. And now, and I know we cut you off mid answer. Do you wanna finish your answer on the majority worldview?
2: Yeah. Okay. So going back to that, that's an important question, like I said, because it's one thing to say, okay, we're this worldview minority. Now what? But you can't really know what that means for you unless you know what you're surrounded by. You have to understand what is this worldview around us? Because we could imagine a scenario in which maybe we're surrounded by a worldview that's not fundamentally at odds with biblical Christianity. And so maybe we don't face as much pressure, as much hostility as we could. But I think we all know that that's not the case. We sense that it's not like that when we see everything that's going on today. So the dominant worldview of everything surrounding us really is secularism. And and that's what I'm fleshing out in this book is talking about the fact that secularism ultimately is an umbrella worldview where everyone comes back to the authority of the self. So for Christians with a biblical worldview, we see God as our ultimate authority and he has revealed himself and what is true about reality in the Bible. So the Bible is our authority for much knowledge. However, for the secular world, when you take away that authority of God and the authority of any kind of revelation of God, you're not left with no authority at all. You're left with the authority of the self it comes back to you. So secularism includes all kinds of beliefs that people can have about whether or not God exists and whether or not you can pray to a God who may exist and what's right and wrong. People are going to have a lot of disagreements about that, but the commonality, the tie that functionally binds the worldviews of millions of people is that the authority on all of that is you personally. And that is where we are at fundamental odds with culture today. It's the authority of the self versus the authority of God and his word.
0: I think that's really important because you're setting out that contrast really well between, you know, the biblical worldview and this version of secularism, secular humanism. Um, And yet, I think that a lot of, we get a lot of letters from from people who follow the ministry, and maybe you get your fair share of these kind of letters too. Of, um, well, yeah, I see this clash of worldviews, and but well, I what I I'm struggling to have this very hard conversation with somebody at my church, my small group leader, my pastor. Um, my friend over coffee, I want to have this, what I call the super hard, complicated discussion about an issue where I know the worldviews are probably going to come into play. How can I do that without making anybody upset? And we get this question, some version of this question at every single outreach that we do. And so I'm just going to let you have a turn at answering this question. Because Monique and I, you know, we, we get this all the time. So I would love to hear your, your answer to this question. How do, I, how do I talk about worldview differences, but I don't upset anyone?
2: Well, the goal is not to not make people upset. Amen. <laughs> Let's just start with the right goal in mind and the right expectation, really. I, and I think that is an unfortunate, uh, that's an influence of secularism right there. If as Christians, we are concerned about how to talk to people without making them feel upset, then we have embraced secularism without even realizing it. So in the book, I talk about these four tenets of secularism being feelings are the ultimate guide. Happiness Mm. is the ultimate goal. Judging is the ultimate sin. And God is the ultimate guest. In other words, no one can be confident of anything about God in terms of knowledge. Well, if you take that and you think about, well, what that means from secular perspective about feelings being the ultimate guide, we've embraced that as Christians. And we think that we need to make sure that we are not making anyone feel bad when we are discussing these things with them. Now, we don't want people to feel bad. I'm not saying let's set out with that as our goal. However, we cannot control how people respond to the truth that we share. We can only control how we deliver it. And so I think this is where Christians are having a lot of trouble because they're starting to believe that whether or not they should share truth depends on how someone will respond. Mm -hmm. And if they go into that difficult situation, maybe they felt hesitant in the first place and they go into that situation and they try to talk about these, these issues, even if they're doing it with truth and grace, if the person gets upset, they think they've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to really catch ourselves and, and get out of that mentality. Now, we do always have to check our hearts, make sure we're coming from the right place. Is there always a better way that we can do things and we can work on that and we can always be introspective? Yes, of course. I'm not saying that that just totally alleviates us of all responsibility and communication, but. I'm saying that by the grace of God, we need to go forward, still speaking truth, knowing we're not responsible for how people respond. Don't go into anything thinking, how can I not make them upset? Go into it thinking, how do I deliver this truth in a God glorifying way for all the right reasons such that they can come to a saving knowledge of him? That's the question, not should we do this in a way that's not going to make people upset.
1: You feisty. I like that. Go ahead. Yes. I said what I said. It's true. (laughs) I love it. And, you know, no, we don't want to go in intentionally making people upset. And, and, you know, some people want to be the tone police and you didn't say this right and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I am coming to you humbly and graciously and, you know, wanting to put truth out there. I feel like that's, you know, when we talk about June that snatch, I talk about the snatch a lot. Cause he's like, snatch him from the fire. It, and it's, it's considered a loving act to be able to snatch someone from the fire. So sometimes, yes, we want to, in, in all things, we want to be kind and respectful and, you know, loving and tenderhearted in our approach and things like that. But you also have to understand that it is also loving to snatch. That's just, that's my perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I like well I like the snatch. Yes. Yes. Now
0: I've um, had to snatch uh, you a few times.
1: And I had to snatch you too. (laughs) The snatch is versatile. They go both ways.
0: What are you doing? Going on this road. All right, go ahead. Goodness gracious. Okay.
1: (laughs) Um, So one of the things that I hear you saying is that, duh, we are like, the Christian worldview is is the minority worldview. And what I hear in your last question is that, hey, look, people are going to be upset. We're not always going to agree or align necessarily with, people in the church and people in the culture. So what are some principles? It might be difficult
0: It sometimes. might be difficult, yeah. yes.
1: And I, I think it is going to be difficult. People aren't always going to want to just run over and embrace the truth of the scriptures or things like that. And even those who do affirm Christianity might say, well, I don't affirm this Christianity here. I affirm this secular humanistic version of Christianity. Um, what are some principles that we can live by, um, as we, as we are, you know, gosh, I'm I'm trying to think of exactly how to phrase it. Like, what are some ways or principles that we can live in order to live faithfully different? Like, what are the principles that, that you see in living faithfully different that we should embrace? Does that make sense? I might need help. Yeah, I think so.
2: Just cut me off with like the whole cane thing, you know, if I'm going off the wrong uh, (laughs) understanding of your question here. Uh, Yeah, no, I, I think that the number one thing is that it starts with your view of the Bible. Mm. This, this is everything. What is your foundation? If your foundation is that the Bible is the inspired authoritative word of God, that this is objective truth for your life, no matter how you feel, no matter what makes you happy, no matter what, you're going to go back to the Bible to determine what is true about reality, what is good and bad and right and wrong. All of those things. If that is your view, you're going to have a completely different view of reality than somebody who says, Well, I appreciate the Bible and it's a helpful resource, but we're still evolving in our understanding of God, which is more of a progressive view. Mm -hmm. And of course, then you have the view of the Bible is nothing at all, that this is just a bunch of man made stuff that doesn't matter. So you have these different views of the Bible. If you're a Christian who seeks to live faithfully different and you want your your beliefs to line up with the Bible, then that's the very first thing is really checking yourself to make sure that you truly do believe that about the Bible. So that's the very first thing. And I actually break the book up into three sections of faithfully different believing faithfully different thinking, and then faithfully Mm. different living. So in your question, you're specifically asking about the living part. It's so important, though, that Christians understand that that's downstream from what we believe and how so good. Yeah. So the believing part of it has to come first. And that's why I focus so much there on starts with your view of the Bible. And then once you have that view of the Bible, then do you understand what the Bible teaches? We have a lot of Christians out there who who would say, yes, that is my view of the Bible, but maybe they haven't been discipled enough. They're not getting enough meat in church so that they actually don't understand what the Bible teaches. You know, sometimes we see people, for example, always throwing out, oh, you know, well, I'm not going to judge. We always have this misunderstanding about the Bible, but things like that, they can actually have a big impact on how you live out your your faith. If you think that Christians aren't called to judge, when we mean by that discern, then we're not going to be faithfully different. You're, you're not going to be able to stand out and be different if you're not even willing to judge in the sense that we're called to. So even those small misunderstandings about passages can have a huge impact. So that really is the first thing, making sure you have the right view of the Bible and what the nature of the Bible is, understanding what's in the Bible, and then transforming your thinking based on all of what you know from the Bible. That's a huge intermediate step. How do you go from Believing to thinking and then ultimately to living. How do you live out your faith at that point? So I think that's just the biggest thing that I would leave with people is that yes, we want to live in a faithfully different way, but you can't do that unless you first have that beliefs and the beliefs and the thoughts that come from the biblical worldview. And of course, I also feel like it's very important that we understand well the culture around us. And that's why this mm-hmm. book is in place, because it's one thing to just know what you believe, but if you don't totally understand the culture, Culture And that dominant worldview and the implications of the authority of the self, for example, and how that manifests itself in so many different ways, then you can get sucked into it. And that's why we start to see Christians who are getting swept into secular ways of thinking, because even if they do understand what the Bible teaches, if they're not understanding what culture is all about they start grafting on some of those ideas. So it's really those two things together of understanding your own worldview and understanding what you're surrounded by so that you can have that clarity that divides them. And then you can really be faithfully different.
0: That's so good because I know that I get the question with some frequency of like, well, how did you like what was the magical spell you put over Monique to get her to come out of critical race theory? And it's like
1: the hoodwink and bamboozle.
0: (laughs) Really what I did was exactly what you're talking about is even though she had these ideas, she still had a fairly solid view of the authority of scripture. And because of that, um, I could appeal to that to her and we could have a Bible study. We could talk about things. Now she did have a very like disjointed view of scripture. She just had a verse here and a verse here and a verse here. But once we sat reverse verse, verse, everywhere, reverse verse. Verse. <laughs> when but once we sat down and we started looking at things in context, then she's like, oh, okay, now I see this verse doesn't actually mean what I thought it meant. But you have to have both, you know, that 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 twin task of Properly understanding scripture, bringing yourself under its authority, but also exegeting your community, understanding the culture, Mm -hmm. and then that transforms our right way of living. Um, Alicia Moss has a very thoughtful question on YouTube that I wanted to just have us respond to for a minute. It says, I think that the American mentality is to rely on others to tell us about how to tell us how to think about things, even the Bible. When you start the journey to learn, the hunger grows. The, some of the people in the chat were talking about how they're reading through the whole Bible for the first time, you know, and um, I think that's great. But I, do you see that, Natasha, that there is kind of a, a tendency for, for us to, to rely on other people to kind of do the heavy lifting of understanding the Bible for us?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the statistics bear that out because, and I wish I knew the stats off the top of my head, but it's something like only uh, 40% of Christians, self-professed Christians who attend church regularly read the Bible at least once a week. That, that means that most people are not getting their understanding of the Bible on their own from their own reading. They are looking to pastors or or authors and speakers and influencers more than they're looking to actually study the Bible. So I, I absolutely think that's true. And that's a problem because, you know, you should, all of us here would say, don't look to me to tell you what's in the Bible. Go read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yes, me. we're just we're just trying to be, you know, we're trying to be loyal to God's word. And saying go look there and and trying to help people think clearly about that but it's not our message we're trying to be faithful to god's message and making sure that that is accurately communicated so you know you can you can follow people on social media and and, and you can look to people in your life but at the end of the day you have to be in the bible yourself you have to know god's word and that's just so critically important. And incidentally, I think this is why it's so important for parents to read the Bible directly with their kids, Mm -hmm. because if all your kids are getting at home is just whatever you're telling them. And then they go to youth group and most youth groups don't give them some kind of deep Bible study meat. So they're again, they're just being told about what's in the Bible. Maybe they go to a service and then again, they're being told by the pastor But they're not learning how to actually get into the Bible themselves. So they're not being trained in that. And so, of course, when they go off to college, they're not going to be reading the Bible on their own. They haven't been doing it. What kid who has not grown up in a house where they're reading the Bible with their family is suddenly going to start reading the Bible regularly in college? Very, very few. So this is also why I always tell parents don't do devotionals. I mean, maybe when your kids are tiny, something like that works because it's got the pictures with it and stuff. Okay. (laughs) But as your kids start to get even just a little bit older, I mean, you have to just read the Bible with them. So they know how the Bible sounds. They understand how to find things in the Bible. It's not just the, the story that we get out of devotionals. Otherwise the Bible just becomes a storybook thank you
0: thank you thank you
2: collection of stories so i I don't want to get too far from the original point she's bringing up but i think it's very related because we learn how to be lazy from our parents when we're not studying the bible with them we have to train our kids on how to read the bible personally
0: our children do have a tendency to copy our laziness
2: yeah um And, they the worst of us I always say they have yeah. 80% of the worst and 20% of the best and that's just what, that's yeah. what we pass on <laughs> but
0: I think oh man I have endorsed this message yes this 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 because when when you know some you and I are in some of the same Facebook groups and nearly every day I see parents on there asking like well what book should I read what devotional should I get and I just want to post on every single one of them just read the Bible just have them read the Bible, read the Bible all together as a family, one chapter a day and discuss it. Like it, this, this is the plan. It's just, but it, I completely agree because we get these distilled messages through the lens of somebody else, through a teacher or whatever. Our kids get those messages and at what point do they ever sit down and read Mm -hmm. something in context and really have a discussion about it? And so if we're going to raise faithfully different kids, they have to be grounded in the word and have read it for themselves.
1: But I mean, even this conversation that you guys are having is, I mean, as parents, is so counter-Christian cultural. It's not like the way that I've always seen it done. And mind you, I didn't come into church until I was about 16, but Since that time, what I've seen done is the devotional method. Even if you buy your kid a Bible, like it, it it can have the devotional in it. And, or, you know, are you sitting down as a family with your devotional? I've heard that preach from the, the pulpit, you know, like these are the good devotionals for the family, as opposed to, Hey, you need to sit down with your kid and just get into the word and teach them how to read the word, teach them how to understand the scriptures instead of relying on someone else's thoughts, like how do you read the word and understand the word yourself?
0: Mm -hmm. And what we do in our family, Natasha, is we have it like a designated time where we all get together and we do it together as like a family thing. But then all of us, like Bob's always reading the Bible on his own, you know, through the year, Monique's been doing a reading plan. We all do things individually too, but Having that time, even though there's no kids left in the house, <laughs> we're still meeting together, you know, to have our our discussion, you know, Monday through Friday about
2: scriptures. Leviticus.
0: We're in Leviticus right now. We chose Leviticus. So we're on like chapter 19 or something. That's tough. That's some tough sledding. I but,
2: have a great commentary on that. I'll send it to you. <laughs> oh, great. I, I would welcome we that. We need it. <laughs> um, now, were you going to say something?
1: No, I have no. Question. Yeah. So, About this whole judgment situation, um, Jenny's getting inky with it. I loved that, um, her handle, um, she has a question about judgment, but before I ask it, I just wanted to remind, I don't know if you remember, but I sent you our curriculum earlier, uh, pre like release or whatever for you to look through and tell me your thoughts on. And there was something in there about judgment and don't judge. And you were like, Oh no, girlfriend. We need to judge. We need. How are we gonna know right from wrong if we're not judging? And I was like, Oh my goodness, that is so
0: true. She, so yeah, you changed it
1: as a result yeah, of did Natasha's
0: yeah comments. Yeah. Um,
1: but her question is in line with that. She says, it's on Yeah, it's on YouTube. It says reminds me of Judge Not, lest you be judged. I always took that to mean expect to be judged yourself, but was always told it meant don't judge. But how can you make choices without judgment?
2: I don't know that we can. What are your thoughts? So that's from Matthew 7, 1. And when you read the rest of that passage, what you see is that it's not saying not to judge. Everyone stops reading just with that verse, but what it's saying is not to judge hypocritically. So we're supposed to be taking the log out of our eye before we try to take the speck out of someone else's eye so that we can see clearly to do so. And a lot of people miss that phrase, but if Jesus was trying to tell us not to judge, he wouldn't tell us what we need to do in order to do it Well, Mm. he's saying that we should not be judging hypocritically. So read that whole passage from Matthew seven, and you can see that it's a warning about not judging hypocritically. And then elsewhere in John, Jesus says to judge with right judgment. So the Bible uses the word judge in a couple of different ways in the same way that we do today. So it's helpful to distinguish this, but in those circumstances, the meaning of the word judge is in terms of discernment. It's about knowing the difference between right and wrong. And so that, that is a discernment kind of judging elsewhere it's talking about condemnation. So claiming to know someone's final status before God, for example, Mm. we are not supposed to judge in that way. So if by judging someone is saying, well, no, we're not supposed to be the final judge. That's absolutely right. Only God is in the position to do that. We're not claiming to know someone's status of salvation. What will happen to them at the end on judgment day? None of that is the case, but we are called to judge when by judge, we mean discern between what's right and wrong. We just have to make sure we're not doing it hypocritically and are guilty of the same things.
1: That's good. That, that's that's really a really good, good answer. Yeah.
2: That That's helpful. I think that if we're thinking
0: about while we're all kind of on the topic of parents and, and we've entitled this stream, you know, raising a faithfully different generation, I'm wondering about hindrances or You know, obstacles that you see out there that parents often run into or write to you about that prevent them or that they see that might prevent them from discipling their their children in a faithfully different way.
2: Yeah, I think there are a lot of different things depending on the the situation. But I think a huge one is unless you happen to be someone who just loves learning about apologetics and worldview and you want to read all these books and you just suck in the information for a lot of parents that feels overwhelming mm-hmm. and it can be difficult. And it, it's it's been kind of interesting um, to me because reading reviews of the book, of course, as an author, you read all the reviews that come through on Amazon and Goodreads and stuff. And I think the most common thing that I hear in those reviews is people saying, this is a really accessible book that it breaks down complex ideas in this easy to understand way. And I'm like, okay, great. This is exactly what I want to do. I want to break down things in an easy to understand way. But then someone online had posted something saying, am I the only one? I'm feeling really stupid because I feel like, you know, I have to look up these big words and it's very difficult for me to understand this. Am I the only one? And there were a few more people who were like, yeah, I'm struggling too. And they said, you know, I have to read this a few times. And it was so interesting to me because on the one hand, I'm brokenhearted to hear that, right? You want to make it easy to understand for everyone, but I think too, that so much of it depends on whether or not you've had any exposure to these kinds of concepts before. And the reality is that a lot of Christians are never hearing about these kinds of things about what is a worldview and why does it matter? And what does it mean to make a case for your faith? And what about all this evidence stuff? Like, isn't it just a matter of personal belief? So many people have not been discipled in the church to understand some of these things. And so when you hit it the first time, it can be extremely hard. And so I think that this is where a lot of parents get hung up because Mm -hmm. there are two paths you can go on from that point. One, you can decide, well, this is this is too difficult. This is too much stuff. I'm out, right? Or two, you could see the responses to this person who had posted that from people who said, it was really hard when I started learning about these kinds of subjects too, but I kept putting in the effort. I kept putting in the work because I knew it was so important. And now I'm understanding and now I'm tracking. And it was really encouraging to see a lot of people acknowledge that because yes, it can be difficult, but if you get stuck and you say, well, this is difficult, therefore, It must not be necessary. I think you're really on the wrong track. And I'm not saying this person in particular was saying that I don't know where they will go with this, but I think that's just like such a critical thing for people to understand so that they don't walk away from it saying that, well, I'm not going to do it if it's hard. Our kids are growing up in a complex world. They are growing up surrounded by all of these complex ideas. So it's not really up to you if you feel like dealing with it. It's about what our kids need from us in order to develop this strong, mm-hmm. confident faith today. So I think if parents are listening and they're finding this difficult in general, all these kinds of subjects, stick with it because it's so vital for our kids. And it's not really a matter of whether or not we want to learn it. It's a matter of what, whether or not our kids need it. So I think that's the, the first thing is just making sure parents are, are not deciding or not deciding based on level of difficulty. The second thing is that we're just busy. Parents mm-hmm. are just busy people, all of us. I mean, we look at our schedules and we're like, when am I going to do this? You know, hearing Krista saying, yes, we just sit down and we're all gathering around the table every night to read the Bible. I'm sure there are plenty of parents going, how do they do that? <laughs> how do you make that time? And it's very difficult to move things around to make these things happen. And it's going to look different in every family. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to look exactly like that in Mm -hmm. order to be successful. We, we used to try to do all at once and that was successful for a long time. And then for various reasons with our personality mixes and the kids and the family, it works better. For us to have separate conversations right now. And that's okay too. Mm-hmm. So it, it just, it depends on your family dynamics, but what you don't want to do is to just say, we're too busy for this. I'm going to offload it to the church or to the Christian school or whatever, because no one is going to disciple your kids the way that you should be. And the Bible calls you as the parent to be the primary discipler in the first place. So we've got to take on that responsibility, even when it's hard and push through knowing that this is really important.
0: What a great answer. And I think you're absolutely right. It will look different for everybody, you know, in, in different seasons. And, but the, the point is, what is our commitment? Because our kids are going to stream, swim in these waters no matter what. And that's just a reality of Christian parenting right now. And so we're going to have to figure out a way forward. There's four gals who are um, on our chat tonight who started with me two years ago when we went through your um, keeping, keeping your kids on God's side book, they were in my group and they that I think for all four of them was the very first apologeticsy thing that they had ever did. And they f- found it, you know, a little bit, the experience a little bit, you know, like wow, this is all new. It's a little disorienting for me now. One of them, but they just kept going. They they just kept doing it, little by little, reading a little bit, listening to podcasts. You know, d- homeschooling their kids. They they all got busy lives, and now like one of them's in the program for the the Colson Fellows. Another one um, writes all the the blog posts for the show notes for, for this show and is one of my assistants and she's just killing it in, in her homeschool world. And they've started a home fellowship and getting other people involved and getting
1: into ministry. Yeah. Doing
0: ministry things. And it's like now, and one of those gals is going to now lead a book group. She's the one that's actually going to do the faithfully different books, book group for us. I mean, and that's just in two years. I just want to like offer that as a word of encouragement. You can make a ton of progress. If you just do it a little by little, you keep pushing forward. It will get better. It will get easier. Mm
1: -hmm. That's a good word. I mean, it's, it it can feel somebody typed in and I'm not sure who it was now, but someone said it felt like they were drinking from a fire hose at, at some point. And yeah, it can feel like that. And, um, You know, but it's like, well, just baby steps, like just the baby step, just stay, stay in the course, stay in the course, even when it might feel like you're drowning, not allowing that discouragement to overtake you. But just remembering that the step by step, um, you will climb the ladder. You'll get there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was first reading apologetics books, maybe I would take away 40%. Mm -hmm. I I don't know what the number was, but I would maybe take away that much. And then the next book I would read, maybe I'm taking away 50%. And each time you start taking away more, the goal isn't to necessarily understand 100% of everything you read or you're going to get really hung up. But as you start to hear these concepts more and more in different contexts and, and people writing about them in different ways and hearing them, you know, sort of from different perspectives, then it starts to click. And then by the time that you've read several books or listened to several podcasts, you start to go, oh yeah, and I remember this or I remember that. And the pieces come together. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Don't get discouraged. Just keep pushing through and, and you can get this and your kids can get this too. Yeah. a A friend and I, not to go wildly off course here, but a friend and I were disappointed by kind of how, how just shallow so many youth groups are and we decided that we would just start kind of our own little thing with a few kids our kids and and a couple others that we know and we called it koinonia kids which is you know fellowship kids and we just kind of took it under our wing to do some different things with them where we dug in more deeply and so i just finished a series with them where we were looking at different memes every week and i would collect these online stuff that i would see we put them up on you know tv screen and we kind of one at a time say okay read this and now you what are your reactions? And we start getting them to talk about it. And then we introduce apologetics in that way. And we've seen their understanding just explode over time that the kinds of answers that they can give. So 100% your kids can get this. If there's nothing more heartbreaking to me now, I'm like on the soapbox. There's nothing more heartbreaking to me than when, when I see a review or a comment somewhere that says, oh, you know, on, on my apologetics books for parents, for example, oh, this is only for like high school kids or college This is if your idea of apologetics is that this is something you should only talk about when your kids are 18, you've completely missed the boat. Yeah, that's I mean, that's way too late. It's way too late, and if somebody is watching this and they're like, "Oh no, I have an eighteen-year-old," it's it's not too late to start by any means. Yeah, you can get yeah. get going on it. But if you have young kids, you can absolutely take these concepts and start to teach them. It's it's just it really breaks my heart when I see that kind of comment that this is this material is way beyond kids. Well, no, it's not. I've done this with kids, not just my own kids, but other kids the same age, and and they do get it and they look forward to it. So yeah, be be encouraged that you absolutely can do this.
1: Now. What are some suggestions you would have for church communities, senior pastor, children's pa- pastor, minister, um, youth leader, that would help them to cultivate community in their church to raise faithfully different kids?
0: Like if Natasha Crane yeah. ruled the world, yes. What <laughs> would that? Yes. What would that church look like? You know, the, to raise faithfully different, a yeah. faithfully different generation.
2: Well, I think it's two-pronged. I think that it's equipping the parents on the one hand so that at home, they can be discipling for all of the things that we've been talking about here. Hey, look, I just tied that into the show. All the yeah, things. Uh-huh. We saw what you did there. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then on the other hand, to equip the kids directly. And and I think, you know, if I could go in and I could take over, you know, control over all the youth programs out there talking about middle school, for example, and high school, especially, I would just want to redo all of their priorities because what i I have seen over and over, and we've visited various churches over time as we were in search of a church home and the things that we've seen and experienced, it's so, oh, it, it really kind of breaks my heart, but it is so much focused on just getting the kids to talk about you know, their feelings and what's going on in their life. It's so about community building. And that's not a bad thing. Community building is not bad. You want kids to come back. You want them to form this great community. But if you lead with community, if community is the primary reason that you're there, then you're nothing different than a secular club. You're just talking a little bit about Jesus too. And We have to lead with, well, why are we here? We're here because there is a God, there is a God who has revealed himself to us through the Bible. And based on that, we're going to talk about what's true about reality and how that does apply to you, but you have to know what's true first. So instead of leading with, you know, community groups and bringing kids in for like the games and, and all these things, bring them in because we have truth to share. And there actually is an objective truth. And here's how we know that it is true. Those are things that kids need today. And yes, communities and important, but I feel like in every youth group I've seen community is the leading thing. This is how everyone wants to get kids in. And I think that, it, it just is a disaster from there because then you get to things that are very self-centered. It's very me centered It's very kid centered. How does the story apply to you? And that of course we want to know how the Bible applies to us, but that's nothing more than secularism at some point about the authority of the self where everything comes back to me and, and what I am and, and what I want and all of these things. So I think we really have to move the priorities around for youth programs everywhere. When we get the priority in the right place, then I think a lot follows from that. So yeah, there's a lot that I I would say about that, but that's the first thing that jumps out to me. Equip the parents, equip the kids. And when we get to equipping the kids, make sure we're not leading with community, but rather with who is Jesus? (laughs) Who is Jesus? And why does that matter? And why does truth matter? And engaging in these cultural issues.
1: I'm a fan of you. Yes.
0: Yes. The former children's pastor says yes and amen.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, like, let's just have real talk here. I was, um, like, our children's ministry director... And like I was, I started out as an intern, and like moved right into it. And I love kids, so it it was just like the perfect fit. Nobody else wanted to be with the kids. I was like, please put me with the kids. Don't don't make me have to like do the sound ministry. I don't want to be in sound. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know any of this, and so now you know I look back on that time, and I see my kids. I'm still connected with a lot of my kids from that time um who are now like grown and married and have kids and things like that and and i don't see all of them living the life that i know is possible had um had i been you know, more grounds in apologetics had I known what was possible that you could love God, not just with your heart, but with your mind. Um, and you know, and I don't, I don't bear a hundred percent of that weight cause I wasn't their parents. You know, I understand that parents need to be the primary disciples of their kids, but I do have some responsibility. I feel like, like, oh, there was something, you know, if I, if I would have understood this part more, um, you know, what, would have been possible. And so I think, you know, what you're saying to to children's ministers or you know, youth leaders and things like that is so important. Yes, you want to equip the parents. You know, senior pastors and leaders want to equip the parents, but you also want to be able to equip the kids because they are smart enough. They are able to understand what, you know, apologetics is and what we're talking about and to think of Christianity in a logical and, you know,
2: reasoned manner. And, the, and I would add too, like first through fifth graders get completely ignored in this. It's just treated like babysitting in most churches. Yes. Let's, you know, bring it and they're all lumped together. There's a huge difference between a fifth grader and a first grader, yes. but they all get lumped together as the, you know, the little kids at church. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that could be taught during that time. It just feels like wasted time so much in a lot of these programs where they're just kind of being babysat. Instead of that being like a real time of learning and in that, that too is just, it's so upsetting to me to see that, or it just becomes about, you know, let's sing a couple of songs and have a snack. And then we're going to have a five minute video or something like that. There's so much more that they can understand at that age. Just look at how much they're learning at school. They're not learning that much about God at church. Mm -hmm. So that's a big difference.
0: All right, we got a lot of great comments. I'm just going to read a couple of them before we say goodbye to Natasha. Um, Jennifer Bytel, who's one of the gals that was in my group two years ago, oh, and she was really Bytel. the one who, who begged me to do the Keeping Your Kids on God's Side group. It was really because of her. She cornered me at a conference and begged. <laughs> <laughs> and so that. yeah, now she's uh in the Colson program. But she says, I'm starting a parent and teen ministry this fall, going through Faithfully Different, one chapter at a time, alternating weeks between parents and teens. I cannot wait. Parents, you got this. And I just man, I just celebrate you, Jennifer, and just knowing like how far you've come. Uh, in two years and how your confidence has gone from like, I'm not really sure I could ever do this to now you're putting parent groups together and, and just leading these conversations. That's awesome. Um, There's another comment I wanted to read from Alicia Moss. Uh, Alicia is a a former uh, public school teacher. Now she's like a parent coach for homeschoolers uh, for charter school. She says, kids, Rise to our expectations. We have to move beyond entertainment and babysitting. When we respect their capabilities and give them good teaching, we really serve them well. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that comment because I think that's so true that children will rise to our expectations. Yep. And they will, as parents, they will copy our laziness if, if that. that's what we are up to. Here's a Only because I can relate to that comment.
1: Here's a question from Allison, and we love Allison. We talked about Allison earlier. She says, Do you sit in on the youth meetings with your kids when checking out new churches, mm. or do you just ask your kids or the youth leaders about what they did? Oh, I have something to say about this. Go ahead, girl. Go ahead.
0: Have you ever you done that, first? Natasha? Yeah. Have you ever sat in on a youth meeting? You know,
2: I think uh, I, I did when they were little. Actually, um, I would go and I, and I would sit in, in a couple of the Sunday school classes, but I think when your kids get bigger, they don't appreciate you going and being the only <laughs> parent who's sitting Stop in the spying the on me. with the middle schoolers. Yeah. Not so much. Um, so I think it's twofold if you're trying to evaluate a program, number one is to ask your kids questions about, well, what exactly did you do? What was the structure of the time? So, you know, what mm. percent did you spend on worship if that's included? And then how did it work from there? Did they break out into small groups? How many people are in your small group? Uh, Who are the leaders of these groups? What were the points? It it really depends on the kid, how much information you're getting back. You know, a lot of boys are going to talk less than the girls for sure. Um, But just be able to ask some specific questions about what was the lesson about, what was the key idea? What were they teaching? And I think that if you are in the habit of talking about discernment a lot at home and having a lot of these conversations that they start spotting things. And so my kids, you know, they kind of report back to me everything. They kind of come back and say, you know, somebody said today not to judge. And, you know they'll say things like that because they understand well that's not exactly right. And so you want to ask good questions, but at the same time your kids are going to have a different perspective than the leaders themselves. So instead of saying like hey my kid just told me this, it, you know you want to kind of ask like this is what I heard and this is something of concern which I've done many many times. I've done that recently actually. Um and just get some some feedback on that. And I would just say one thing that I've experienced too is that you can have one if the the group is broken out into um, different groups, individual small groups, you can have one leader who's spot on, and you can have another leader who maybe doesn't have the best biblical understanding, or maybe they don't have as much depth there um, in the in their background. And so you never know where (laughs) where these things are coming from. Um, So talk to the leaders, find out what what it is that they're going through. Are they using a curriculum? Is it something that they're just talking about? And and then talk to your kids as well. But yeah, it's really hard to go and just sit in the back once your kids get older.
0: What well, are your thoughts? What did you want to say? My gosh. That? I, one,
1: um, I, I'm so I'm super protective, <laughs> but so I wasn't always like keen to have parents come in and be oh. like in the room. I don't know, like I have a lot of kids, I have leaders, and now here you are. Like, I don't know what your temperament's gonna be. I don't know what, you know, who you are. And I'm not trying to go to jail cause you didn't mess with one of my kids. It's so it, it always leads to, it jail, always for you. Leads to jail. It's but, always jail. Because I'm not like, afraid to use these hands. It's so extreme. All I'm right. just saying. It's always
0: jail. This person cut me off of my parking place, but I'm not going to jail today, so I'm going to let them have it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Anyway.
1: But one of the things that I would encourage parents to do, like if if either the the setup doesn't allow for you to, you know, sit in. And now I, I think it is important, like, hey, if you can stand at the door, if you can, you know, if there's a way that, you know, that leader or whatever says, hey, you can do this, especially with littler kids, um, especially when it's their first time you know, having that that security a little bit instead of like, bye Felicia, I'll see you later. I got to go, I'm going to big church. Um, <laughs> you know, being able to, to, to offer some of that, you know, like, hey, I'm here from a distance. And then you also get to see what's happening. But there are many times when kids would come. And before I can turn around, little Felicia been dropped off parents. I'm like, what's wrong with this child that you didn't ask me no questions? You don't know me. you just (laughs) letting your kid like linger here. Or like even when I would want to tell parents like, hey, this is what we did. Let me explain to you. How does all of this, you know, work together? Parents weren't really trying to hear it. They were trying to go to lunch. You know, or we would do we would do games that would tie back into the lesson and parents would be like, oh, that looks fun. Well, hey, let me explain to you like what we taught about and how this connects. People weren't trying to hear it. So I think parents do have to ask questions. They need to be, you know, asking the the leaders, what did my kid learn? And if the leader can't tell you what your kid learned, you have a problem and you should be able to talk to somebody else and be like, I don't know, you know, what they're doing.
0: Yeah. That's that's interesting from the from the perspective of the the chil- children's pastor. Cuz sometimes yeah.
1: parents they just like, "Here, I'm gonna drop you off." But first of all, we don't start for another half hour. Why your kid here so early?
0: <laughs> is that kind of the babysitting mentality? Is that where that comes from?
1: Either that or I don't like my kid very much. This kid is a handful, <laughs> something. They be dropping them off early and then you want to stay. Like, <laughs> <after laughs> and I was in a Pentecostal <laughs> church. So now it's like we didn't had communion, this person had to get slain in the spirit, and I gotta wait. It's like I gotta wait for you to get up and now it's three o'clock. I'm just saying, at three o'clock, I'm like
0: I'm hungry. hungry.
1: Yeah, Timmy's still here. <laughs> But no, in all seriousness, it's like
0: we don't have that problem in Baptist church.
1: We sure don't. <laughs> in Baptist church, y'all, in and out. But it's like in all seriousness, I think parents could ask more questions yeah. and leaders should be prepared to give the answer for hey, this is what we learned. But and when we talk about orange, one of the things, and we'll do this on Tuesday, one of the things that you know I liked about that program was the fact that they listed out everything that was done. So it was very little questions.
2: But anyway, (laughs) all right. it's funny though that you say that because that was how years ago I had never ever thought about asking what curriculum is used in Sunday school that like that hadn't crossed my mind. My kids were young and then they started sending those, uh, those little parent sheets home from our church. And it was from orange curriculum. And I remember just looking at those week after week and saying, you know, gosh, this isn't really Christianity. This Mm -hmm. is just kind of like some loose values about being nice. And I just kept saying, this was the case. It wasn't Really, giving them a deeper understanding of Christianity specifically, it was like make sure we forgive others, Mm -hmm. without tying it back to because Jesus forgave us and why we needed to be forgiven and what Jesus' sacrifice meant, and you know, make sure that we're we're nice to people and and all these things. And it was really, it really just struck me that this is something that is concerning, and that was because they were sending the sheets home. So yes, you know, if they're sending the sheets home, read that stuff because it might tip you off to something that you might not even be aware of otherwise. Make sure you accept. Yes.
0: So that's a good just reminder of our super stream on Tuesday where we're going to be looking at uh, the website for the Orange upcoming Orange Conference and uh, talking to Natasha and Elisa about that. And um, just trying to to, you know, understand what's going on there and, and the philosophy behind that. But I think. This has been a great conversation, Natasha. You've given us a lot to think about because secular humanism sprinkled with some Jesus on top of it is not going to help us raise a faithfully different generation. It will not um, produce a faith that will be distinctive and will endure. And I think that that, you know, all of these little things of Sunday school papers and all of this, these little things is part of a bigger issue of you know, what is our strategy? Remind people, uh, for the three people that are watching who don't know who you are, um, how to get connected with your ministry and follow you.
2: Yeah, so I have a website and it's just NatashaCrane.com and Crane is spelled C-R-A-I-N, not Crane like the bird. And <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can find my blog on there. And I also have a podcast now called the Natasha Crane Podcast. You can get links to it from there.
0: Very good. And you can try to follow all of our ministries on Facebook and you might see our posts because they might propagate to 600 people. Thank you, Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) I think you've been having as many algorithm problems as we have.
1: She's not bitter at all. You know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It stinks.
1: Just saying. Just saying. (laughs) all right well all right. thank you so much we've appreciated this conversation and just your wisdom and your heart behind it girl i appreciate that you judge yes
2: <laughs> yes. yes i'm all about judging yes <laughs> judge wrong. rightly if you clip that out and it's just like i'm all about judging just think of how that sounds it sounds terrible <laughs> there's that but- thank you for having me on it was so
0: thanks fun natasha you guys all right thanks. we'll see, see you tuesday bye all right bye, bye. All right, know, all that right. That was fun. That was fun. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm telling you, parents, y'all will drop your kid off knowing, <laughs> dang, well, that child ain't eight. He grumpy. He hangry. <laughs> he got a cold, coming in with germs. And then y'all want to stay because you're slain in the spirit, <laughs> covered with a little cloth. Yeah, if y'all if y'all ain't never been don't to, know about the cloth. to to Black Pentecostal Church that's a whole there, there's a cloth there's a cloth you gotta get covered up can't be slain in the spirit and unholy <laughs>
0: Un- immodest
1: yeah immodest immodest to you Mm-mm. that's the devil's work
0: the, the little ushers will come by him
1: with the gloves on and the nurse hat yes they will but anyway <laughs> um yeah the prayer blanket come on you, th- you th- no. yes anyway um oh, i love natasha very much in my heart but, um, mm. yes, parents, I don't know what's wrong with y'all because y'all be leaving your kid there for days. Children's <laughs> ministry is an hour program. An hour. I didn't gave them snack. We didn't have prayer. I didn't taught them all kinds of things. And now we Next play three games. You, you
0: gonna, you're going to just take them home and adopt them? The devil is a <laughs> <laughs>
1: They've been there for three hours for a reason.
0: <laughs>
1: no. All
0: but right, we're anyway, going to go to the Impact are- 360 video and then we got one more thing. So let's check out what our friends are doing over doing? It's a surprise. It's a pop quiz. You love surprises. Impact 360. We'll be right back. Everywhere I looked. Everything I read. All the things the world told me about who I was. What I should like. It was all there. The thinking had been done for me. But what if you can't shake the feeling that you are destined to be something else, someone else?
2: Someone other than just popular.
0: Or unpopular. The smart one. The jock. The Christian. The sinner. In the world
2: today, how does anybody know who? Or
0: what to be.
2: Or what to even know.
0: I found those answers and more. I learned how to think through the superficial problems and transcendent issues before me. And begin to understand what God has revealed and why faith is not blind. What I believe in my heart from my experiences. To know and respond to endless challenges of my faith with love and with confidence. So that I may listen and engage because I know what I believe is true. community where you are transformed in your character as you discover your identity in Christ. And your God-given calling. It's not only who you are, but where you should be.
2: A community where you are cultivated as a leader.
0: Where you will learn how to live a life of service to others as you follow Jesus Christ.
1: The Impact 360 Institute is a community of experiential and holistic learning where you develop confidence in what you have always believed in your heart to be the truth. Then take what you know about God and what you know about yourself and live as an agent of change in your own community.
0: Know
2: Jesus more deeply.
0: Be transformed in your character.
2: Live a life of kingdom influence.
0: Know. Be. Live. We were laughing during the, uh, the uh, video. Allison says, can I sign up for Impact 360? But that would
1: be like an adult version. That gave me a lot of thoughts. I was like, we could do an adult version. We could do like a weekend worldview program. Who's this we? You. <laughs> and Alisa and you Natasha. A, you, yeah, Alisa. I will you. teach y'all the worldview of Hood and the Snatch. <laughs> the Snatch should be like a real discipleship, like track. What's your degree in? Snatch.
0: You could do like hood apologetics—how not to be affected by other people's emotions.
1: Oh yeah, because see, I don't. I care. said what I said. I said what I said. The, I, I got the ministry. I don't care. Ooh, that's wrong? <laughs> Let me stop.
0: But anyway, yes.
1: See, I think that I think we're on to something, y'all. If y'all think that a weekend like apologetics thingy could be something, put a that. In, put that in. They know what I mean. Y'all know my heart. I know y'all love me. We family. Put that in. Put it in the chat. Yes. I'm telling you, like it could it could be real. It could be like a weekend. You could come on Friday night, you could have like a session and a breakout on Friday. Then Saturday, you could have an all-day thing, and then Sunday we could like have a guest speaker or something like that come in to cap it off. I'm telling you, people need parents especially. Y'all need to know how to raise your kids with the right worldview. <laughs> And then I won't be there, so y'all can be <laughs> dropping little Timmy off with me. Uh-uh, this is a kid-free weekend. Yeah, See, people need that. Look it. <laughs> Jennifer, yes. Alexa, yes. Okay. So you a <clears throat> couple things over here. Abigail.
0: <laughs> Snatch
1: 2022. Who planned for it for? Yeah, we got the thing. <laughs> we got the thing. <laughs> okay. What's your surprise? Yeah, I, I'm ready to plan. I am ready to plan. Yeah like you don't have enough hobbies. As Figueroa, yes. Louise, come on. Ooh, letting you she. We going to have it planned. We will be making announcements toward <laughs> no, the don't. end of the fall. Yes, for 2023's parent snatch conference.
0: Yes. Snatch.
1: <laughs> yes. See, I would like to do it if we could do it before the end of 2023. I mean, 2022 that'd be great, but you know.
0: Okay, so <clears throat> I'm
1: serious, y'all. Watch. I'm serious. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Okay, so two things. First of all, we're we're asking the Lord to send us a partnering church for to, this snatch
1: conference to, to help, help do us the
0: conference, <laughs> not the snatch. This is a real conference, so we need <laughs> we need we need a partnering church. Don't send me don't send me names of churches you think I might be interested to contact. If you are involved in a church that you know or that you're willing to help, like, that that you think would be a partnering church. I'm not looking for a location. I'm looking for a church that believes in the ministry, believes in what we do, preferably somewhere in kind of the middle of America. Tennessee, (laughs) Texas. St. Louis. Yeah. Somewhere in there. If you know a church and you're involved in it, don't send me names of churches you don't go to, but you went to once, you went to a conference. I'm looking for people who are involved and in leadership in a church that you think would, they they, they support what we do and they w- might consider being a partnering church to help us do a conference, a national conference. That's what we're looking for. So I'm just putting it out there. We'll see what the Lord brings.
1: Now, I don't know how she's trying to put it out there about her conference, but when I want to do the Snatch Conference, she's going to be all funny. The devil is a lie. Let me go ahead and say this. But yes, we are definitely looking for a venue um, to be able to hold a CFBU conference. Um, and it's it's not just CFBU, but we would um, be one of the spearheads on this. Yeah. Um and it would be in partnership with Theology Mom and some other people that I can't name at this yeah. current time. Um, but since Theology Mom is sitting right here, I figured, well, you know, go ahead. Um, and the snatch will probably be built into that. <laughs> Y'all think I'm lying? We got too many, too many, so too many so,
0: people who are just nice. So one last thing. Yeah, go ahead. What are you reading right now? Did I stutter? Oh, you you feeling froggy? Are so you trying to leap? <laughs> you trying to
1: leap? <laughs> so what?
2: Um, what what your... am I reading
1: right now? Um, I'm reading the Bible. I'm reading the book no, of Luke.
0: You read that book that you were listening to when you're putting on your makeup right before the show.
1: Oh, you should say <laughs> what book are you listening to? Oh, okay. Um, Why you think the way you do? By Glenn Sunshine.
0: Yeah, how's it's, that going? It's really good. I'm tell, tell tell us what it is, and because it's really been blessing you, and you've been had a lot of good things to to say about Y'all, it.
1: I don't know what's happening. <laughs> so I'm re- I'm listening to this book by Glenn Sunshine. I never heard of this guy before, but um, and you know that's really bad that I have never heard of him. But forgive me, I'm a work in progress. I'm I'm getting there. Um, it's it's basically a book about worldview and how the Christian worldview has influenced. Many of other cultures, ancient and modern, and how we see many of the same issues that we see today in ancient culture, Um, the impact of the first century church, it's just really good. Now I'm only three chapters, four chapters in, but it's been an amazing book and and just an amazing way to consider why, you know, or, or to consider the Christian influence on not just the American culture, but on culture in general around the the world. His thoughts about um, Christianity and slavery, Christianity and abortion, and how you see slavery... Um, in, you know, way before the American, um, American slave trade or the chattel slavery, but looking at slavery, um, even in the 11 and 12 hundreds and how it was Christian abolitionists that stopped much of that. It was the, and the Catholic church that stopped much of that, looking at abortion in the first century and how, um, you know, how and why abortion was legal and infanticide was legal, but actually like real abortion, you know, how, what, People and it was prehistoric surgery, but it was still a surgery. Um, or that people would eat herbs and flowers to be able to abort their babies and things like that. What the the impact of Christianity on women and how many pagan religions were so um, horrific. Toward women. They they saw no value in women. But then here comes the Christian worldview that said, hey, you can serve. You can be in leadership as a woman. We see value in you. You aren't um, a mistake. Aristotle thought that that women should have been men. There was just some kind of defect with them in, in the like uter in utero process that they actually just there was something wrong with that process. So I don't know how that would have happened for, you know, like. Reproduction. <laughs> if everybody was supposed to be a man, that don't seem right. But you know, like there's just a lot of thoughts that this book opens up and I think Jennifer Bytel said she awesome. read
0: that book for part of the Colson program. Because
1: he's gonna be speaking at the Colson um the Colson Wilberforce weekend in May.
0: along with a certain person, I know I
1: I am going to be at Wilberforce weekend again this year. I am so excited. I actually I think it was I don't know if it was Jennifer or Allison. I have to go back. I think maybe it was Allison. Um, Colson Center sends out emails daily. And a couple of days ago, the email was a picture of me and Olin Os Guinness. Guinness, And (laughs) a person you've never heard of. (laughs) And Jim Daly. Jim Daly. Thank you. Yeah. yeah Oscar Guinness and Jim Daly. And she's like, who are these people? That's true. <laughs> um, but I will know who they are by the time I get to Wilberforce. That's right. Don't worry. But yeah, so I I just was I'm super humbled to, um, one, be listed next to these people. And, um, you know, to I opened my email because I got the same email. And there was my face. And I was <laughs> like, Lord. Like it's how is so this humbling. my life?
0: How is this my life?
1: It, how is this my life? But Lord, thank you for what you allow me yeah. to do every day. Thank you for it's what you allow crazy. us to do. It is, it's amazing. And you know, I, because I was progressive, um, just in my thinking and in my, um, theology for so long. Like some of these people who are historic Christians who uphold upheld a different worldview than I did. I don't know who they are, but now I'm being invited to speak and share platforms with people. And I'm like, to one degree, I kind of love it because I don't feel nervous. I'm just like you are who you are and I am who I am. Hey, how you doing?
0: Remember when we first started the show, you didn't have a Twitter account, you didn't have a website, you didn't have nothing. And when you, I was too braids,
1: And you would and introduce yourself. Um, Alicia Moss and Jennifer Bitel named us. That was and
0: horrible. <laughs> Susanna. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, and we used to introduce you, you'd say I would say I'm Theology Mom, and you'd say, I'm Monique, and, say, I'm Monique, and, say, I'm Monique, and I don't have a website. Yeah, I don't have a website. Now no, look at you.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, it's Guinness. <laughs> That's crazy. All but, right. So once again, yeah. the, the book is called why you think the way you do by Glenn sunshine. That's yeah. something that's been blessing you. So
1: it is, it, it really has been um, just, yeah, just the conversations that I have with people, people who write in. Um, I know we need to go, but another thing that has really, that the Lord's really been impressing upon my heart is to pray mm-hmm. for, for others and not to um, like, I, pray, I feel like we pray all the time, but, yeah. but you know, to really take serious the fact that it's it, we should consider it an honor mm. to be able to bear one another's burdens, to pray with, with and for other people. Um, and so, I think between what he's teaching me about prayer and um, what I'm learning in worldviews about worldviews, mm-hmm. it's just been it's been a rich time.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's the show. Next week, we've got an even bigger guest. Yeah, should we say who it is? Go ahead, or should we just leave them in suspense? No,
1: no, don't leave them in suspense. Because if they miss, they're gonna be all bitter. Why didn't you tell me? I can hear y'all now. <laughs> Alyssa asking, two braids, huh, girl? We don't want to. We can't retell that story. That's yeah. a mess. I'm, I'm two braids right now under my, um, uh, my head wrap. Don't judge." <laughs>
0: All right, tell him who the big guest is. No, you. Monique gets the big guest. No, but you. No, you tell him. You're the one who who got him? No, I didn't. You did. Oh, sorry. It was my well, idea.
1: Um, Tell him who it is. I can't. You go. No, just do it. Just do it. <laughs> no, I want to do it. it. No, <laughs> just do it. So you do it. This is horrible. Let's get Mikey to, do it. Let's get Mikey to try it. I don't know who the heck Mikey is. <laughs> Mikey. He'll eat anything. Vodi Bakum.
0: That's right.
1: Vodi Bauckham is going to be on our show next week. Um, and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I was talking to his, um, his like primary assistant and he was like, Hey, what's up? And I was like, what's up? You, and we, we just went along and I was like, so you, you ain't told my uncle that he had a niece floating out here. <laughs> And so, yes, I'm looking forward to that conversation and just the the realness of of all that we're going to talk about. Yeah,
0: and it's going to be a different kind of interview. I know Vody has done a lot of interviews already about fault lines, but when you were reading his book, you were really struck by the fact that he grew up in almost the same neighborhood as you. Yeah, we probably walked the same streets. You know, and um, he's closer to my age, but I think he and I are actually are exactly the same age. But I think he's a
1: little older, yeah
0: um he's you know it's you guys have a very similar upbringing similar neighborhood we're going to talk about you know you know more of the the backstory of you know both of you and in, in your journey and that sort of thing so we're going to try to get a different kind of interview from Vody um than the typical like let's just talk about fault lines type yeah. of thing so
2: yeah
1: so that is it all right. So Kimberly said my kid just asked Is it Jesus <laughs> 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 That is great Okay you guys we are Out of here we will see you next week have See fun. you on Tuesday for week. the yeah. Super
0: Stream Tuesday See you next Saturday for Uncle Vody Yeah have a good week God bless Thanks for listening to All The Things Be sure to subscribe to our website At allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.